0: Usually in these situations, you know what you no longer want. So, for example, you know you no longer want to work in a toxic environment. You know you no longer want to work in that job. You know you no longer want to work in a client-facing role. But what is the alternative? So what is it that you want? So then you have this big horizon open up in front of you and basically anything is possible. And that tends to be very overwhelming for many people. Which then very often leads to the second challenge, what do I want? And how am I then translating it into what it means for my career? Hi, I am Sophie Vaux, and this is the
1: Rise and Play podcast. In the show, I sit down with influential thought leaders of the gaming industry to deconstruct how they create the best team and company cultures in order to create the best games. Every episode brings actionable insight to improve your leadership, self-awareness, and emotional management skills. Because becoming a better leader starts with becoming a better human. So, are you ready to unlock your full potential in life and business?
0: Let's begin. This episode has been brought to you by our sponsor, Appadiel an all-in-one growth platform for mobile app creators of any size. While you have probably heard about Appadiel as a mediation solution, it has already expanded into much more than that. Appadiel unlocks access to a new generation of advanced business intelligence tools, including LTV forecasting, user acquisition and creative automation, and of course, the mediation platform that can work out of the box or be managed manually. Being one of the very few independent platforms left in the market, AppaDeal delivers unbiased solutions for mobile app creators to establish and scale their businesses rapidly. Sign up at AppaDeal.com.
1: So today I am sitting with Tamara Rose and in one of our episodes where we are discussing in depth about some topics with coaches. So a little more about Tamara. So Tamara is the founder of Berlin Boss Babes and dedicated for high potential and leadership coach for women. It is a social impact business accelerating female advancements across career, business, and money. So before becoming a coach, Tamara had 10 years of track record in corporates and startup as a talent consultant, managing, assessing, and developing talents, and master's degree in political science. Why so invited Tamara to go a bit more in-depth in a leadership topic, It's about transformation of life, so your life, and therefore your career. But I will not say
0: more and leave it to Tamara as well. So hey, Tamara. Hi, Sophie. Thank you for inviting me to be a guest on your podcast. I'm super happy to be here.
1: Yeah, this is exciting. So also for our listeners here, I'm super glad also that there's a great network of coach in Berlin and so... During pandemic, he was doing a lot of sessions online, but uh, I enjoy so much of doing them like now on site. So we are doing it on site today. Before going in the topic, I would like to hear your personal journey, Tamara. So how did you get into coaching and can you tell us more about yourself and your journey
0: that led you to be a coach? Yeah, sure. I think there were different factors motivating me to go into that direction. I come from a completely different field. I have been a political scientist. But when I graduated from university in 2010 and actually studied in Berlin, the political industry, it was tricky to get a job and It was also a time in Berlin before the big startup bubble actually happened. And I made my first career change. So I changed from political science to talent management and talent consulting. And I worked for some of the biggest talent consultancies globally. And something that I learned on these jobs was to work very closely with candidates who I was basically supporting to get into jobs. Those jobs were vacancies at organizations that were my clients. So basically, from day one, I was coaching my candidates on how to improve their application documents, how to perform well in an interview, how to really show themselves from their best side, and then also how to negotiate the salary. So I would say that this piece of coaching, which I call career coaching, has been with me from the very beginning of my career. And I think it was only later in my life when I got more curious about personal development in general, that I realized coaching is so much more than coaching someone into a good job. Coaching can be really a powerful modality when it comes to creating changes in your life, or even a real life transformation that feels really meaningful. And that's when I really spent lots of time with a personal development topic, I was going to therapy. And I think that was the moment when I also knew I wanted to work with this modality deeper, but also more holistically, because I think no matter what you want to change in your life, you need to look at your life as one big organism rather than just like little pieces of it and then of course that experience was reassured by my experience with having been coached and I actually had the opportunity to work with a few really great coaches where I was the client and where I could also experience firsthand that coaching is extremely incredibly powerful And depending on where you are, it can be complementary to therapy. You can do it simultaneously. You can do it in different times of your life. Sometimes you need therapy and not coaching. Sometimes you need coaching and not therapy. So I think I then also understood which situations or which challenges require coaching and, yeah, kind of set myself up for that.
1: Thanks a lot for the intro and decisions are never easy when you have to change not only your career and what you want to do going forward and starting, well, almost from zero actually. And as you've been really focusing as well on transformation, you know, of life and career, we can say that you went through this as well yourself. Maybe let's begin with that as from your experience and also from what you have observed, a discussion with clients and other women in the community What was the situation you were in that was the wake-up call, like there's a need of a change
0: when you were working maybe in this corporate world in the past? Yeah, I love that question. I feel very passionate about co-creating transformations for my clients because, as you said, I have really gone through my own transformations. And I think... Earlier in my life, my transformations were a bit, with me not necessarily being in the driver's seat. So, for example, the first career transformation that I went through, going from being a political scientist to being a headhunter and a talent consultant, I just knew I needed to change something. I applied for different jobs. I got an offer. I took it. It worked out well. I was lucky. (laughs) When I actually went through my second transformation, I knew that for me working as an employee in corporates and in startups and in scale-ups that doesn't really work for me anymore. I wanted to be self-employed and I also had a vision for how my life would look like and how that would translate into opportunities business-wise. And I then designed my transformation. So it was much more aware and I would say managed process that came from me. Mm, I would say that there's maybe two types of situations that my clients go through that makes them crave a transformation. The first situation is probably somewhat similar to everything is really good and okay and things look great on the paper and let's say you have a wonderful job and you make good money and maybe you even are in charge of a team and you're very much demanded and respected at work, but somehow you feel like, hmm, I thought my life would be a bit more... Exciting and beautiful than that. So there's this level of satisfaction and gratitude, but also this little voice in their head saying, hmm, but maybe there's more. So it's basically, first of all, like the exploration of your self doubt, because very often in that situation, my clients have a very strong inner critic or even limiting belief coming up saying, hey, You should be happy with what you have and you should be grateful. And why do you want to like change everything that's like so risky? But once that voice is managed and once the realization is there that, yes, I'm taking some kind of risk, but I can do it in a way that is going to keep me safe and still get the reward, then they usually go for that change. And the second type I would say amongst my clients are women who just find themselves in a situation that doesn't feel tolerable any longer. So I do again and again work with women who have had very difficult or even toxic experiences at work where they have worked or are working in quite dysfunctional environments. And it's just clear for them that it cannot go on. And at the same time, because they have experience so many difficulties related to that. They want to put a lot of awareness or focus on finding a new job or new organization where that is not going to happen again. Mm -hmm. So they are very thoughtful when it comes to making steps and making a decision. It's also about really understanding what opportunities are available to them and how can they then position themselves to find themselves met to such an opportunity.
1: And I can relate to the two cases, at least the last one that you mentioned as well, where having been coached as well, something that happened as well over time and uh, being a bit more aware, connected with yourself, like something doesn't feel right, right? And I've been in gaming, like also personally for uh, like over a decade. And once in a while, I ask myself, do I still want to stay in games? So it's like a re evaluation of. Am I still feeling fulfilled or what are the blockers or what can I change that, that really makes me feel frustrated or powerless or helpless? I felt something was not right in the environment of work, toxic or you feel burnout or is not aligned with your ethical values or even your personal motivation. And this is where also what motivated me for a change, triggers are really helpful to have a awakening and say, okay, what can I do? And I think a lot of the work is also once you know there's a problem <laughs> and there's need a change, I think here the difficult part, it's the fear of getting out of a known path, right? So I have also found myself uh, in, in those thoughts where I'm not happy with the situation, but It's not for me if I go on on my own or I start a business or uh, I change career. It's like there's a sunk cost fallacy, like all those thoughts, those bias. And uh, it's hard to overcome it and sometimes force us to get back to the default state to have security or not overcome those fears. So what else have you seen in your conversation, observation, or even with yourself? Those mental blockers or mental voice? that are limiting us
0: to sometimes go through this transformation? Yeah, I think you're making a really good point here. I think having that awareness that something is blocking us is already a really big and important step because I think what happens before that usually is that people make up their mind about wanting to create a specific change and then somehow... It doesn't work. They don't get stuff done, and they don't realize why, and then they just give up on it. And I think the first step is realizing, hmm, I'm struggling with getting out of my comfort zone. And interestingly enough, I see that phenomenon with women who are in very good jobs. When I say good, it looks good on the paper. It's a great company, great job title, great salary. I would expect that the outsider looking in would think, yeah, of course, it's hard to get out of the golden cage, right? Mm. But I also noticed this phenomenon when I work with women who actually work in very difficult and even dysfunctional environments. And it all leads back to how we are wired as human beings and how our brains work. And our brains simply love being safe. And that's translates in today's society where we don't have to hide from wild animals and fight for our survival every day, that need for safety can then even translate into the decision to, to stay in the comfort zone, even though the comfort zone itself, it feels comfortable, but it's harming us. So yes, the awareness is point number one. And the next challenge that I see my clients facing and actually a challenge that I also faced myself over and over again, usually in these situations, you know what you no longer want. So, for example, you know you no longer want to work in a toxic environment. Mm -hmm. You know you no longer want to work in that job. You know you no longer want to work in a client-facing role. But what is the alternative? So what is it that you want? So then you have this big horizon open up in front of you and basically anything is possible. And that tends to be very overwhelming for many people, which then very often leads to the second challenge. What do I want? You know, where am I going? And what vision am I picking for my life? And how am I then translating it into what it means for my career?
1: I think intuitively we know a lot what we don't want. And I think it's a life journey, right? To really understand. And most of the time we follow a scripted path, you know, where we think that we followed something we wanted, but was pushed, pressured by education, family or society or school peers. And a lot of things that we think we want are not things that we want. And when we have to look in words like, what do we really want? Who are we? It is very overwhelming in a whole journey. Like you mentioned also, like having a vision. What do you see, for example, when you start to have this conversation? Like, what is your life vision? What's the state of people starting to even think about this? And again, what do you see on a more societal level? Why many people don't even have clarity or crystallization of what their vision of life is? Why is that?
0: Yeah, so usually when I start working with a client and I ask my client about her vision, I would usually get a very stunned look on their face. So they would be like, oh, (laughs) that's such a hard question. And I think there's different reasons why it's hard to have a vision or to create a vision. Because I I focus on working with women, like I made a decision that I want to contribute to more female advancement in a world where as women, we are on the negatively receiving end of systemic injustice and gender inequality and gender biases and so on. So the vision topic is so challenging because first of all, there are hardly any situations in our lives when we actually ask ourselves about our vision. We don't cover it in school. We don't cover it at university or when we do some other professional training. I think the only people covering vision as a topic are probably those going into entrepreneurship because they need to develop visions for their companies. But you might not ask yourself about a vision. And I think then A lot of factors have a big impact that you have just mentioned. So, for example, for me, it took me a really long time to even think about what my vision was, because for my whole childhood, my mom was a very dominant figure in my in my upbringing. I would say she's a very strong woman. She's very opinionated and she would always tell me what she wants from me. So if it were according to her, I would have probably become a lawyer or a medical doctor you know, I have a migration background. I was born in Germany, but my mom is from Poland. My dad is from the Philippines. He grew up in the US. So I was one of the few non-German looking kids in kindergarten and at school. And she really wanted me to have this very traditional and very successful career. And success to her meant a very prestigious employer, an impressive job title, making lots of money, driving a company car, you know, all these things that a lot of people associate with success. And it it was only in my early 30s that I started to detach myself from my mom's influence. That was the process when I had also started going to therapy and when I understood that Many of my life's choices were not entirely my choices, but I had been following a script that had been given to me by someone else and where I had to ask myself, okay, but what do I actually want? In the work with my clients, I usually try to identify if something comes up that you feel you should be doing, is that expectation really yours or is it something that you inherited or borrowed from someone else? And then as a next step, there's a few playful ways, I would say, to explore what your vision might be. One thing that I love to do is to talk to people about what they wanted to do when they were children. Not because I'm thinking that they should now follow that career path, but very often the meaning beyond what they wanted to do as children, that might have some kind of message. So for example, when I was little, I was constantly fluctuating between wanting to be an animal doctor or a doctor for people. So I knew I really wanted to do good and help people and, you know, somehow make the world better. But I also remember that my parents were entrepreneurs and they had their own office where I would sometimes spend time and I would always go to their desks and pretend like I'm the boss. And I'm like take like pieces of paper and write something on them and put stamps on them and pretend that I'm like invoicing someone. And that made me also come to the conclusion that from an early age, I was keen on like, yes, being the boss, being in charge of my own business, having some sort of autonomy and independence. And this is, for example, an exercise that you don't have to be in coaching. You can just do with yourself and ask yourself, what did I want to do when I was little? And why did it appeal to me so much? And another thing that can give a lot of support is to ask yourself what kind of values you have and how you would like to contribute to these values being more present in the world. And that also can like pinpoint a certain direction on the horizon that you might want to follow. And I think the secret is to then start small. So if, let's say, I am in a point in my career today, where I'm not really 100% fulfilled and I have a vision of a life that has certain values like sustainability or nature. It doesn't mean that I need to quit my startup job and move to the countryside and become a farmer. I think a lot of people think that this is how it works, that when you have a vision, it leads you to create these drastic changes. But what I do with my clients, I prototype. So, for example, when I have a client who really cares about environmental impact, social impact, who feels really conscious of the world we live in, I would start with looking at what she does right now. So how can her role or her job connect her to that by maybe working in an organization that is more aligned with that vision or by doing specific projects that are more aligned with that? And. When you put yourself in that experience, what happens to you?
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Unfortunately, what sometimes happens, we tend to romanticize things. And we come up with an idea for a career change, because we think, oh, this new idea is going to be the dream come true and the end of all all our sorrows. And very often when we actually end up in that job, we realize "Mm, it's so much different when I'm in the job rather than when I was just imagining it. So that's why I really love to prototype with my clients, because it allows them to take small steps and check in with themselves, how do I feel in this new situation? Is it something where I want to wade into the water even more deeply?
1: So you mentioned as well, you have a script or education influenced by your background. I wanted also to reflect on that because coming also from an immigrant background from my parents, who moved from Vietnam to France. I can relate to a lot of things that we build for ourselves in young age or more teenager have been decided or pushed heavily by other people, but we incorporated for ourselves until something feels off. And it was about the same time as well for me. I think it was my late twenties where I did everything that was expected of me. So I got a good job, graduated from school, got all like with flying colors and like working in a company that has great name and credential and also like choice of partner. And you feel just something is off. And also when you realize this, like I think all the steps that you mentioned. Something interesting also I would like to reflect on is going back to the childhood. I'd say playful, but it's accurate, I would say point source to look at what you like because when we are kids... We are a bit in this pure state where we haven't been influenced, where we don't think about what others think. We don't think about career status, you know, and we are not like molded yet by the world and the expectation of the world. So it's very sort of pure uh, passion, hobbies and intention. And we lose that, I think, in some way, like this inner child as we develop to really actually get back to our origins, like what we really like genuinely as a kid. So I really like this exercise that you're doing with your clients to explore your inner child, like the playful part, the more inspired part. I think here reflecting... On the point of prototyping, it's amazing because also some of my own barriers, sometimes when I think of change, it's overwhelming. It's like, I want this now, tomorrow, you know, and then it's like so much to do and I'm not sure. And then you're risking everything and exactly prototyping, testing and how you feel about yourself. That's what I've been doing also a bit with a podcast, creating a platform of knowledge, investing and all of this was testing to see: do I want to do this full-time, part-time, how do I feel? Or it's just the image of it. So really understanding in the end for the process to learn about yourself. Well, it's hard to do it yourself, but at least contact a coach to do to us. And one thing I wanted to explore a bit further, why have you decided also to focus specifically on women? And what do you see are some patterns in women that, you know, are more specific than a broad coach and some things like we touch a bit on like expectation, maybe from family, but what are the specific things you see that are blockers for women to maybe go through this transformation and finding your vision of life?
0: Yeah. Why did I choose to work with women? It's not like I thought about it and I just made the decision. I think it was a process and a few things influenced the outcome. I think first of all, even though I had an upbringing that was not perfect and I've went through my own difficult experiences and traumas, I feel still privileged to have grown up in a family that really empowered me towards being a self-sufficient woman. Even though that's a bit one-dimensional because life is more than that, I am thankful for it because it primed me in a way that it was only natural for a woman to be successful, to become a leader. I didn't really question it. and what i then noticed when i was a talent consultant and i would for example manage my own team members and you know in talent consultancies the majority of people working there are actually women so my teams would usually consist out of you know 80 90% of women i noticed that the women in my teams very often wear holding back when it came to speaking about their achievements, or when going for like an extracurricular project and things like that. And then I also noticed in the conversations and the interviews with candidates, which I had, that again, I would talk to male candidates, and they were very confident, and would, for example, have very high salary expectations, even though their CV maybe didn't check all the boxes. Mm-hmm. And then the women, I very often had to coach and say, hey, but based on your experience, you can definitely ask for more. Before I even thought about doing my own coaching business, I think I noticed a difference. And as I became older and as I became more aware of my surroundings, I just realized that there is an inequality between men and women, right? It's visible in the job market, It's visible when it comes to entrepreneurship and getting funding. It's visible when we look at how much money women make and how they get pension when they retire. We also have a wealth gap when it comes to women. And at the same time, I, of course, kept finding myself in stereotypes where, you know, as a woman thinking about being successful in business and also wanting a family, I felt really torn. And I still feel that way because I feel like as a woman, you, you it's hard to have it all or it's made difficult for you. So I think me, you know, observing the world around me and then also knowing that maybe as women, we can step up more if we re-educate ourselves, not by going to university, but by really understanding that we can be anyone And that the things that many women get told when they when they are young, that they, you know, they should not draw too much attention to themselves or they should play small and not do anything that's risky. You can even observe it with little kids, right? Like boys are encouraged to climb up a tree and girls are discouraged and like, oh, honey, be careful or don't put any dirt on your dress. Right. Like we're really going extreme here. And of course, that kind of talk then imprints itself on children, and it continues through their upbringing up until adulthood. And something that I also keep thinking about a lot is also the media and what we see around us. So I think nowadays, the, even the advertising or the commercials we, we consume have become a bit more more balanced And there's lots of initiatives trying to put women in male-dominated domains such as the STEM field, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. But ultimately, there are still certain stereotypes that I feel are definitely still confirmed by the majority of what's happening in the world. I feel like, of course, in a big city like Berlin, we live a bit like in a bubble, Mm -hmm. But the moment you leave Berlin or the moment you also go then in other countries into not the big cities, but the rest of the country, you can see that even in our now very modern world, which is technologically speaking so advanced, even when you run studies, topics that are related to career, business and money are still being mostly associated with men while topics that relate to family relationships are more related to women. So it's just something that runs very deeply and it's imprinted on us. So of course, as women, we cannot just let it go and change overnight. We really need to do a lot of work in terms of creating self-awareness, but then also taking actions to choose a new role that we think is more aligned with who we actually are.
1: Yeah, there's so much depth in how we are constructing our personality and worth, and coming from many factors that are very complex, like society, culture, heritage. As I'm sure as well, among your clients, you meet very different profiles, but it starts with the same clients who come to you, they know they have a need, want to change, don't know how to. Could you walk us through what are the steps, like where to start when you are really
0: like looking for a change, you know, something is not right? Start with the vision you have for your life and something that I would encourage everyone to do, no matter if you're working with a coach or if you're doing the work by yourself is to whatever you do, try to get out of your head. Because what we do as human beings, we engage in incessant self-talk and our self-talk can be very powerful and it can even talk us out of really good decisions. So I would really start writing things down, such as how do you imagine, like, In an ideal scenario, what do you think the most beautiful version of your life would look like? Maybe it will be very specific. So, you know, I have clients talking about a house in the countryside, living by the sea, having children, having animals, and just let it flow what comes out. And then as a next step, ask yourself, why is that important to you? So there's actually a really cool technique called the five whys. So if you want to get to the underlying meaning of something, you can ask yourself why up to five times. So for example, if you're dreaming of a really beautiful house somewhere, why is it important to you? And then the answer might be, because I want to have a place where I can retreat. Why is that important? Because I need to feel safe and I need to be able to recharge before I go back out into the world. Why is that important? Oh, because I actually really want to contribute to the world. I really want to do something that has an impact. So I had a session with a client actually last week, and she told me about dreaming of a house in Italy. And then she was laughing and saying, "Ah, oh, but maybe that's silly. And I said, no, it's not silly at all, because it means so much more than just the house in Italy. It has so much meaning if you allow yourself to look into that. Very often, you will then find that what you see is somewhat aligned with your values. Another thing that can really help in terms of, you know, making things actionable is to actually start identifying your strengths. Because again, this is something where I feel we have the tendency to really look at our weaknesses and our blind spots. And depending on the work environment we find ourselves in, I mean, ideally, we work in an environment where it's very, you know, feedback driven, and you get also lots of positive feedback. But again, I feel like very often my clients are in work environments where they are being told what to improve. And not so much what they are already doing very well. So identifying your strengths by, for example, taking a strength assessment. I am a big fan of the Gallup Clifton Strengths Assessment. I've been working with them for years. I think they are very accurate. I think it has never happened to me that a client did the assessment and they were surprised by the result or they didn't agree with the result because your strengths can then also show you what to focus on or which traits of your personality to leverage in order to take steps towards that vision and one exercise that I for example also do with my clients and again I'm going to stay with the example of that house Let's say you have the vision of living somewhere in a beautiful place because you want to be able to retreat and recharge so that you can go back out into the world to really show up as your most powerful self. What is one thing you can do this week to come closer to that? that might translate into a variety of things. Of course, you might be a very successful person in business and maybe it's just about starting to look for houses or (laughs) starting to look for someone to help you with a mortgage. Or maybe you are at a point in your career where you realize, well, if I want to make that happen, I need to work on my financial reality. I need to step up for myself. I need to negotiate my salary and make more money. Maybe it means that you're going to change your job. Maybe it means you're going to do a little side hustle. Again, what I like about this type of prototyping is there's really no excuses because if you choose the smallest, easiest step or action to take, you would need to have like a really convincing self-talk to talk yourself out of that. And by taking the action, you create progress. And the thing about progress is that it motivates us. And a lot of people have the misconception that, hmm, I'm feeling unmotivated right now to work on my vision. So I'm going to wait until motivation strikes and then I'm going to work on it. And it's the same for many other life areas like, oh, I don't want to go running because I don't feel inspired to go running. But the truth is the moment you start doing something. So the moment you start, you put on your runners and you run for five minutes outside you will feel the motivation coming and when you sit down and you decide which thing are you going to do this week and then you do it, you will also feel like, oh, I'm actually doing something. I'm coming closer to the life that I want to create for myself, which is then going to motivate you to pick another thing next week or maybe you are so into it that you do two things that week, right? So I think it's also important that we stretch ourselves But we don't put ourselves in a state that's very, very uncomfortable and creates anxiety even, because if that happens, we usually fall into this kind of paralysis where nothing happens, we don't do anything, and then it just creates frustration, which then creates more paralysis. So starting small, starting maybe with actions that are not related to the life area that you want to tackle, but another life area that feels more secure can really make a big difference.
1: Thanks a lot for sharing so many very concrete insights. I think here for a listener, it's like very actionable at the heart of what coaching is to not stay too much in the head, right? Committing to an action and discovering what comes and then you see something else and being in this motion is really about creating habits, more habits, what I can reflect on where you help your clients to develop the habit of doing the action and maybe not with a high stake of what is really the uncomfortable thing. And practice until until they actually reach the goal. But here we're scratching the surface of really what coaching is about. And especially when you want to change something in your life and something really core and deep and for a change that is durable. I want to also reflect with you on what coaching is. And I'm sure like many of us listening to this today, like, oh, I'm going to do this tomorrow by myself, do it. And what is the difference when you're actually being coached and when you try to do it
0: yourself, Where are the blockers and why it's so hard to do it for ourselves? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge when doing this work by ourselves is that we are mostly talking to ourselves in our head. That's why I mentioned earlier, if you can start writing these things down in a journal or a worksheet, whatever works best for you can help. But the thing about coaching is there's a few elements that I think make it really powerful. The mere act of committing to coaching, to picking a coach, to signing up with them, to investing money, to investing time, you're making a commitment. Sometimes I take this example of when I was younger, I sometimes liked to do these juice detoxes where you would just drink juice for three or more days. And I had a juicer at home so I could make all the juices by myself, but I never managed to really do it because I would always give up after one day because when I made the juices myself, it was like, yeah, whatever. But when I actually bought a juice detox set, which cost me an amount of money that was not only, you know, like a little amount, I felt really motivated to commit so the first step of really making a conscious choice that you feel, you see it in your calendar, you see it in your bank account, and you also have experienced, I'm making the choice, I'm now starting a new chapter. Then the fact that there's someone else who's not a friend, mm-hmm. <laughs> and who is, first of all, looking up at you objectively, they don't have any own agenda, Their goal is really only about helping you make your goals come true. And you have their undivided attention and support. For example, a session with me is usually 60 minutes. So let's say for 60 minutes, when I work with my clients, I even support them in between sessions. So we have a system of being in touch with text messages, voice notes, and so on. So you have someone who is really then also committing to you and doing everything in their power to help you reach that goal and very often a coach is going to challenge your perception because our mindset I would say is very often our own biggest obstacle that we think we cannot do something or we believe we should not do it and a coach can really challenge you to let go of that belief and to become more courageous and to dare trying things out because They also have you to come back to and to talk through it. I think accountability also plays a big role here. Even when you have a week where you feel really unmotivated to work through, uh, let's say, your homework that you agreed on with your coach, maybe even once only doing it because you don't want to show up to a session without having done it. And I also think the toolbox that the coach brings with them and that they can work through that toolbox with you. So, of course, you could also buy yourself a book or you could do it like an online course. But again, a lot of people struggle doing it by themselves. It's much easier to create progress in collaboration. And last but not least, something that I personally believe is One of the biggest success factors, maybe even the most important success factor, is if you have a really empathetic coach, someone who really is in that profession because they have followed their vocation, and you have a very good match between coach and coachee, you will start seeing yourself through the coach's eyes. And you will see the potential that they reflect back to you, that the problems you make up are just made up. So in a way, you are internalizing the coach and becoming your own coach. And this is ideally how coaching should look like, because you don't want to create codependency so that your client will stay with you forever. It's about working with a client for a certain amount of time so that they are then equipped to do the work by themselves and create an ecosystem where they can find support from other people who are not necessarily coaches. Having someone that believes in you and that belief in a way becomes contagious. And I'm emphasizing this because I worked with a really amazing coach in 2020 and she truly was such a cheerleader for me. But I could tell that she really meant it and I really admired her. Mm-hmm. So at some point, my brain just switched because my brain said to myself, Tamara, if if she believes in you and if she thinks you can do it and she's so smart, she knows so much, then she must be right. And you need to believe in yourself as well. And I think that's why I believe that this is such a powerful element. So I would say when choosing coach, really ask yourself, how do I feel when I'm with this person? Do I feel more energized? But do I also feel peaceful and safe? Do I believe that that person really is committed to helping me make my goals and even my dreams and my vision come true?
1: Thanks a lot for debunking as well, like really what I call the power (laughs) of coaching. For people who haven't done coaching, it's really hard to know how it feels before you do it. I was also part of a, I would say, tough nuts to crack in the past when I thought also for a long time I can teach myself and so on. Same story with therapy. And I can confirm for the things you have mentioned for a few points, having an undivided attention, someone listening where you're not interrupted and rushing is like, Here I can slow down and really process some thoughts and talking them out actually unlocks new thoughts. So this is also the power of having someone really here to listen and also help you reflect on certain things where you cannot see yourself. Definitely a strong point I can relate to is like accountability, where you are committing if it doesn't work out, can only blame yourself, right? So the coach is really here to support, but they won't do the work for you. You have to do the work, and this is a good test of commitment. Do you really want to do the work and get there, or you just dream and then you know accept the result that might not be so big, so... Uh Well, we are reaching the end also, Tamara, for today, but really, really good insights. So much to take away about how big of a difference it is to get a coach and the relationship as well with a coach is really important. And I've learned also a few things really from you about this this switch when you really develop. And I'm grateful to have also a great coach. And I really like the work with her. I really managed to elevate my thinking about many, many things. So I'm very grateful for that and for your presence today. For a listener, if they want to inquire further about your work, even talk to you,
0: maybe work with you, where can they find you? Yes. So I'm currently revamping my website. So I would say that right now, the best way to get in touch with me is probably LinkedIn by searching Tamara Rose Morales. You can drop me an email, Tamara at BerlinBossBabes.co. And if you're one of these people who love spending time on Instagram, I have a very active Instagram account at Berlin Boss Babes, where I also share lots of client stories and behind the scenes and relations from my workshops and my events, because I also do those regularly to bring people together, to bring women together more on a community level than I would say. Instagram is a very active channel if you want to indulge. And thank you so much for having me. I really love talking about these things. And yeah, I hope also that listening to this, your listeners will get inspired to take charge and do something that they've been hesitating to do. But I think it's really worth going down that rabbit hole and you'd be surprised to see what amazing things are possibly waiting for you.
1: Very encouraging words and very inspiring. Thanks a lot, Tamara, for your time and your energy and passion. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this latest episode of the Rise and Play podcast. I am trying to grow a community of conscious leaders across the industry and beyond. So if you want to join this movement, please share the podcast with other conscious leaders because we have so much more we can learn from each other. Also, please don't forget to follow the show so you don't miss out on future content. Every episode is packed with actionable insights that will help you improve your leadership skills now. And if you are interested in learning more on the topics that we discussed today, you can find more insights on riseandplay.io and there you will also find my free masterclass on conscious leadership. So have a great week. And until the next time,